this week on episode 30 of Diary with a Senior Geek. And so I headed on out to my car, and as I was putting the bags with the Corona in them into my car, one of them ripped out the bottom, and six bottles of Corona broke right there in the parking lot. And so I said, okay, universe, I get it. I will not do that again. So I didn't want to do it again. Hey there, Gary Fisher, the Senior Geek, back with episode 30 of Diary of a Senior Geek. Just a quick and dirty, non-scripted episode today, because I don't have a whole lot of time on my hands. I wanted to start off by talking about honesty and ethics. Today, I was out running errands, and I stopped off at Home Depot to get some Christmas lights for the front of the house, and I grabbed four packages of net lights and went to the self-checkout, and I scanned in all four packages and paid and started to walk out, and I looked at the receipt, and I noticed that I'd only been charged for one. Not sure what I did wrong, but I was already out of the store, but I turned around and went back in, and I told one of the people hanging out around the self-checkout area, hey, I think something went wrong here. I bought four of these. I scanned all four, but I only got charged for one. He was just aghast that I came back. And I'm aghast that he was aghast. It just seems like the right thing to do. And I think back to, I mean, karma's a bitch. And I recall one time, had to have been 35, 40 years ago, I walked out of a grocery store. I had just bought two six-packs of Corona. And I looked at the receipt and I thought, hmm, they only charged me for one. But I was in kind of a hurry and I thought, well, no harm, no foul. And so I headed on out to my car, and as I was putting the bags with the Corona in them into my car, one of them ripped out the bottom, and six bottles of Corona broke right there in the parking lot. And so I said, okay, universe, I get it. I will not do that again. So I didn't want to do it again. So that's it on that. The other thing I wanted to talk about is how much more responsibility I kept getting at work at Hughes in the early 90s. My boss, Al Lang, best boss I ever had, convinced me to stay in the division that I was in. I was about to transfer from uh, electro-optical division over to space and communications because a bunch of friends of mine had transferred to a lab over there and they needed help. And I had a supervisor that I did not get along with at all well. Now, I get along with almost everybody, but uh, so it was more like he didn't get along with me than the other way around. We had different styles of working. I got everything done, but he saw my style of working as mostly screwing around, and yet I got everything done. And I don't think he really could understand that, so we butted heads quite a bit. So I was just trying to get out from underneath the supervisor, and Al calls me into his office, and he says, I don't want to lose you. What would it take for you to stay? I said, I keep proposing to my supervisor that all of our equipment, or almost all of it, is rack mountable. And we don't have any racks to put it in. And so it gets stacked up on work tables and people walk by and bump it and the stacks fall over and it gets damaged, has to go out for repair or recalibration. And what I'd like to do is get a budget so we can purchase some custom racks. And I already know what I want them to look like. And mount the equipment in the racks 
so that uh, you don't always have to go running around looking on shelves and other workbenches trying to find the one piece of equipment you need. You just know which rack it's in. And if you need to, you know, you'll be able to move a piece of equipment from one rack to another just with a screwdriver. It, but uh, it would just make it a lot safer, a lot more convenient, and it would actually look a lot nicer in the lab. And he says, oh, yeah. He says, I can get you a budget for that. And we talked about two or three other things. One of the things I asked for was a raise, which he, he got me a raise. And at the end of the whole thing, he says, okay, I'm doing all this for you, but you need to do something for me. At that point, I just had a double A in electronics that I got by accident. I may have told that story in the past. But he said, I want you to get a bachelor's degree. And so I thought about it for a second. I actually went back to my office and then I went and I knocked on his door and I said, does it matter what the degree's in? He said, nope, could be underwater basket weaving. I don't care. You just have to have something that's got a bachelor of science in front of it. And I said, how about computer science? He said, that'd be great. Because that was what I was doing at the time. Mostly was writing computer programs in BASIC to control test equipment that had a computer interface. And so I did some research. And it's hard to imagine how I did research back before the internet. But somehow or other, I managed to do some research. And I found this place called National University. And they had a 15-month computer science program for people who already had a double-A degree. And so I went back and I asked Al if that would be okay. And he said, sure. So after 15 months of hard labor, it was the exact kind of academics I needed. One class per month, so I only had to do homework and, and uh, programming work and things like that for one subject at a time, which is what used to drive me nuts about college. Very intensive. Uh, you didn't have time to forget anything because the classes were only a month long. So you had two weeks of instruction, a midterm, two weeks of instruction, and a final, and you're on to the next subject. Much to my and my family's surprise, I finished that up, and uh, I had only gotten one B out of this 15-month program. Everything else was A's. So I graduated with a Bachelor in Science and Computer Science, summa cum laude. Since I'd been a C&D student in high school, this was a surprise to basically everybody. But it was something I was interested in. And that's one thing about an Aspie. If you can get them interested in something, you just have to get out of their way. The one B I got, by the way, was in a calculus class, which I definitely was not interested in. And I messed up the midterm, which would have brought me down to a C, but I pulled it back up to a B with the final. Anyhow, I'm spending more time on this than I expected, but uh, so what? It's my podcast. So the supervisor I didn't get along with was really not happy that I didn't go for a double E, electronic engineering. And he, you know, he was still giving me all kinds of crap. But very shortly after I got my degree, Al calls me into his office again. And he said, okay, well, we have two Unix administrators that are reporting to the division manager. And both of them are leaving. And we've already hired a woman. Her name was Becky for one of the two positions. But if you want the other one, it's yours. I said, cool. So I left the test lab that I'd been working for for most of my career. At that time, it had been almost 20 years at Hughes Aircraft. And I went off to report directly to the division manager as a Unix administrator, which was a pretty rarefied error for me. I had a window office. Shared it with two other people, but I had a window office. And it took me a while to get up and running on it because uh, in the classes I took, we were using IBM PCs. 
Dual floppy, no hard drives. Hard drives were pretty rare back then. Five and a quarter inch floppies. And all of our programming was done in Turbo Pascal. So you had one floppy, you would put in the A drive, and it would boot up DOS. And it had Turbo Pascal on it. And then you, on your other floppy, you kept all of your code. So you would write your code and you would save it off to the other floppy. Those were the days. So I didn't really have any experience with Unix at all. And I struggled a little bit until I finally figured out how to read a man page. But once, once I figured out how to you know, find the right man page and how to read it and how they were formatted, there was basically no stopping me. So I was doing pretty well as a Unix administrator, but by that time, IBM PCs and the early Macs were starting to show up in various offices around our division, and there really wasn't anybody in charge of technical support. And so since I was a computer guy, along with my Unix administration, and I was also doing some database administration work, I was also providing technical support for everybody that had either a PC or a Mac. Networking was still kind of in flux at the time, so the two big ways to network computers together were through NetWare and uh, via TCPIP. Unix used TCPIP. Most of the PCs used NetWare, and then Macs used something else entirely called AppleTalk. And it all ran over the same network, and Apple, originally Apple Talk only ran over, it was actually a serial connection, it was an RS-422 serial connection, but they came up with a version that could run via TCP IP over Ethernet. And eventually, NetWare went away, but for a while there, I was having to support NetWare, Apple Talk, and uh, the standard TCP IP networking. So while I was working on that, I was also part of this huge committee that spanned our entire group. There were several groups that were part of Hughes Aircraft Company. They were almost like their own companies. I worked for Electro-Optical. Then there was Radar Systems. There was Space and Communication. And I think there were a couple of others. In the Electro-Optical group, there was an Ethernet network. And it was just one big network. It wasn't subnetted at all. No routers in it, nothing. Routers were still kind of a new idea at the time. And so I was in this committee where we were deciding how we were going to set up the architecture of a routed network to allow TCP IP, Apple Talk, and NetWare, and DEX proprietary LAT protocol, LAT, but it wasn't routable. So we needed to make sure that all the deck machines that needed to communicate with each other and were using LAT were on a bridged network. And it was a royal pain in the butt. And as far as the IP network was concerned, we kept kind of changing our mind as to how big the subnets were going to be. Today, on a routed network, you would just set up a DHCP server on each subnet and PCs, Macs, you, you name it, they come and by default they're set up to automatically go out and get an IP address from a DHCP server, so it's no big deal. But back then, you had to run around to each individual node on the network and bring up the correct text file and use a text editor 
to edit it and use the correct format. It was kind of a pain. I can't really get into a whole lot of technical details. I'd be here all night. So I had a, had a lot of work doing that. And then people would be having problems with various applications. And I'd have to help them out with that. So I had a lot on my plate. And just today, I found a couple of old Franklin planners from towards the end of my career at, uh, at Hughes Aircraft Company. They were from 1993 to 1994. I left Hughes in 95. And I was looking at all the different things I was working on. And it was like, you know, go to this guy's office and troubleshoot the problem he's having with the network and go to this other guy's office and install this application for him and then go to the committee meeting, that committee that I mentioned. And it was nice at the end of the one particular page I was looking at. I had Dodger tickets for that night, so we went to see a Dodger game that night. As I was taking all the pages out and throwing them into the recycling bin, there were uh, some, it was kind of a timesheet where I was keeping track of all the different tasks that were required of me on a particular day and how long they took and, you know, whether they were new, whether they were in process, whether that they, they had been completed that day or whatever. And I, I seem to recall that there were some complaints that we weren't quick enough to respond to various issues. And I was documenting the fact that I was under a huge amount of pressure to get a lot done and had a lot to do. And that was the beginning of the end for me when it came to just being able to get along without medication. It took a while longer before everything went to hell, but not that much longer. So, all right, I've already recorded way longer than I intended to, so I'm going to cut this down a little bit, and uh, the rest of the stuff that I was going to get to, I guess I'll get to some other week. Bye. Dad's Journal. The prompt is, the country or countries my ancestors came from was, Dad said, we tried but could not trace the fishers past Ohio. My great-grandfather was also named John, and both he and my grandfather married Mary's. We never traced the Young family past Kansas. Grandmother Young was a McAllister. My mother always blamed my troubled tendencies on the Max. So that means... On my mother's side, I am one-quarter McLean, and on my father's side, I'm one-eighth McAllister. So whatever that works out to, I got a lot of Scots blood. The rest of my ancestors, I need to get Amanda on here, see if I can get another mic and get her on here so we can talk about this. The rest of our ancestors are all English, Irish, and Scottish. We uh, are a very pale-skinned lot. on to the quote of the week, Matthew 5:12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that pretty much speaks for itself. Uh, as I said, I'm not much of a Christian, but I think what, uh, what Jesus was trying to say there was, you know, don't worry about it. It's, pre it's pretty much like the last couple you know, don't worry about it if people are giving you a hard time for trying to live a good and ethical life. And 
you know, from the Christian point of view of accepting me as your personal savior, because there's been a lot of really good folks in the past and they were also persecuted. Now, from some of what I've read, some of the prophets he was referring to were actually kind of jerks, but uh, doesn't invalidate the point. I'd like to ask a little favor. If you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on whatever app or site you use to listen to it. This will help get it out there to more people. Also, if you like it, please tell your friends and family about it. As always, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook. Just search for SeniorGeek49. Take 173.